Do not be afraid. The angel says it to the women at the tomb. Jesus says it too. We're not afraid. This is the great day of the church. This is the day we say life begins again. This is the heart of our faith. Christ is alive. If we're not afraid, how are they afraid? They were at the very moment when they met Jesus. They saw him face to face. So we're not afraid, but they are afraid? What's that about? Our problem with resurrection, of course, is that we're a scientific people. We understand that death is death. Dead is dead. We don't understand the idea of a miracle. And so it's easy for us to say, well, first century people were pre-scientific and so they were more credulous than we are. They could be taken in by these kinds of stories. We're smarter. Well, that's, that's a long bow to draw, isn't it? They knew actually more about death than we possibly could ever do. 50% of children died before they reached adulthood. People died at 35 as the average life expectancy. And when people died in the first century, as in most of human history, the people around them dealt with death physically. Don't tell me they didn't know anything about death. They knew more about it than we do. But resurrection in the ancient world was a different thing than it is here and now. It was just as unexplainable, just as strange, just as hard to understand because it was such a strange thing to happen and didn't happen very often. But it did happen. At least they're the stories. There's a wonderful story of someone being born under the sign of a star being betrayed by those close to him, being executed falsely, his body being hidden away, and then him coming back to life again, resurrected. He was the great god Oris, who had been part of the human story for, by this stage, at least 2,000 years. There's the story of only 70 years before of Julius Caesar having died, a comet or a star, we don't know which, they didn't distinguish those in the first century, appeared in the sky and that was a sign that he had been raised up to be a god. And his adopted son, Augustus, who was the emperor at the time, he was also son of God. This was something that was part of the world. Alexander the Great, there were stories about him being resurrected and coming back to life and becoming a god himself. The people in the first century story that we've got who were frightened are not frightened because Jesus was resurrected. They're frightened because Jesus was resurrected. You're not supposed to be resurrected unless you're great. And Jesus was far from that. He was a Jew on the back end of the Roman Empire. He was a Galilean in the back end of the Jewish story, the Jewish communities. It didn't make any sense unless 
You were paying attention to what Jesus had been doing and saying for three years. If you had, as Jesus said, ears to hear and eyes to see. Jesus' whole project was about the small, the insignificant, the thing easily missed. He said that his world, his kingdom, his empire, in response to the massive empire of Rome, was going to be small, like a mustard seed, the smallest of seeds. It was going to be like yeast, the tiniest amount in the whole dough. It was going to be like treasure hidden in a field. It was going to belong to the smallest and the most powerless, to children. It was going to belong to the diseased, the blind, the broken, people swept aside by the world. The kingdom, it turns out, that Jesus was talking about, the empire of Jesus, was not going to be for the elites. It was going to be for the at least one-third of the Roman Empire who were slaves. It was going to be for everyone. It was going to be for everyone. Paul, the apostle who started to write letters to groups of Christians around the world, he grasped this immediately. He said, look, this is such a strange revolution. This is such a strange world that God is talking about through Jesus that there are no longer going to be any slaves or free people. How does that work? Our entire economy is based on, there's going to be none of that. No more power and control. There's no longer even going to be Jews or Gentiles. No longer a hierarchy of who is really close to God, who is really pious, who has really got the right religion. That's all going to disappear. Maybe John Lennon was right. Maybe you can imagine a world with no religion. There's going to be no Jewish religion. There's going to be no Gentile religions. It's all going to disappear. Not only that, there's not even going to be any male or female. Now, we're right in the middle of a debate about that at the moment, aren't we? About what it means to be male or female or transgender. And not everyone's comfortable with how things are changing. But what Paul is talking about here is the hierarchy of life. The men and women were completely different. Women couldn't really be trusted. They couldn't go into court and give um, testimony. because They couldn't be trusted. But all that's going to disappear. There's no longer going to be a group of people who know blokes and a group of people who, well, they just do the domestic. That, that's all going to go. That's what Paul understood. That's the world that Jesus was talking about. So, if you were paying attention, listen to this bit. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Who witnessed the resurrection? Well, no one. In fact, none of the four Gospels say anything about the resurrection. They're as confused and as unsure about it as we are. They tell us what happened after. And what happened after in this Gospel is some women turned up. The people who couldn't be trusted to give an account of truth in a court. They turn up. There's a clue. This is the Jesus world we're talking about. Forget all the smart and the sophisticated. Forget all the ones who know. Forget the cabinet. 
that met at the very beginning of the Matthew story, if you remember, with a bunch of people, possibly, we call them the three wise men, but we don't know whether there were three, we don't know whether they were wise, but of course they must have been men because that's the way we run the world, isn't it? But the cabinet turned up because they said, where's the king of the Jews? They well, we don't know when we'll look and we'll figure it out. And it's not about the elite. It's not about the ones who know. Forget all that. They went to see the tomb. Now, in all the other Gospels, in the other three Gospels, the women also go to the tomb, but they take spices with them because that's the, the role of women, is to care for the body that's been buried. But here they don't. There's nothing about spices. Is that because they forgot to take them? Is that because Matthew, being a bloke, probably, we don't know who wrote Matthew's Gospel, but let's assume it's a bloke because that's the way we assume about everything. Maybe Matthew forgot, because he's not caring about things like that. Or maybe they paid attention to what Jesus said, who said a number of times in Matthew's Gospel, look, this is not going to go the way you think it is. We are not going to raise up an army and take over the world. This kingdom is going to come differently. This empire is going to happen in a completely different way. I'm going to end up being arrested and killed. But I'll come back again. Maybe the women were paying attention to that, so they didn't need spices because they were going to see not the body, it says, but to see the tomb. There's nothing in it. There's no one there. They were paying attention. They had the ears to hear and the eyes to see. It's another clue to those who are paying attention that the world of God is going to be about the small and the overlooked, which turned out in the Roman Empire to be more than half the population the small and the overlooked, the, at least the third and maybe more who were slaves and the others who were artisans who tried to stay under the radar but had to be forced to deliver their crops and their goods to the elite. That's how it was. Of course, it's all different now, isn't it? It's for the small. It's for the broken. It's for those of us who pretty much scrub up as well as we can on a Sunday still of the broken inside. This is why the church has insisted through the centuries on the equality of all people. That's why when we have communion in a minute, we let anybody come. We don't care. Anyone can come. If you can eat and drink, and even if you can't, even if you have to have gluten-free, we've got that too. Anybody can come. That's the church's story. Now, we have been terrible at it. You don't need to spend five minutes in church history to know we've done a rubbish job of it. We've had our own hierarchies. I mean, look at me, I'm standing up way above you all. We've done that. Now, we've tried in the Uniting Church to do that differently. We don't make our ministers and our, uh, to be priests and to be bosses over things. But we've sure done a good job of it over the years. And, of course, we've insisted that men stay in charge. Except we haven't. We have tried to do that differently in the Uniting Church. That's why the church insists on campaigning for refugee rights insists on saying we must be in partnership with First Nations people. Because Jesus kept saying, this is the way the world is going to be. This is the new world of God. And you have to be a part of it. And sure, we've done a rubbish job of it. But we still believe it. We still maintain that this is the way forward. And then Jesus says to the women, do not be afraid. We know why they're frightened. 
Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Tell who? My followers? My, no, my brothers. My family. Go and tell the ones who are, have the same heart as I do. Go and tell the ones who, it turns out to be all of us, the one family of God. And go where? Well, go to Jerusalem, go to Rome, and no. Don't go to any of those places. This is a different world. Go where? To Galilee. Where's Galilee? That's home for this mob. That's where they're from. That's where their heart is. Go to the small place, the heart place. Go home. That's one of the reasons why we tell the resurrection story. It's because it's about all people. Paul got the hang of this. He realised that if all people were made by God and all people are encompassed in the work of God and that's what Jesus was about, then all people will experience the same thing as Jesus experienced. In some way, we can experience resurrection. We kind of do that every morning when you sort of slap yourself around a little bit and try and wake up. You've come from a place you don't know. It's a mystery. You were kind of... If somebody had looked at you you might and, and didn't notice you were breathing, you might look dead. You're just not moving. You don't know what's happening in your mind. You're having dreams, but they're not, they're, they're not coherent sometimes. They're strange. They tell stories to you that you don't get. We've come from a very mysterious place, and all of us here woke up into a brand new day, into a brand new moment. We experience it all the time if we're paying attention. If we look, if we have ears to hear and eyes to see, it's a small thing. But it's not a small thing, because there will be a day when you don't wake up. But you did today. God willing, we will tomorrow. That will be resurrection within us. If we have ears to hear and eyes to see, even the smallest thing. Is the resurrection a fact in history? Well, some people think it is, some people think it's not. But that's history. Isn't it, is it an experience in you and through you now? Yeah. In the Northern Hemisphere, Easter happens at springtime. And they're the bosses of the world. We're just down the bottom here. So we end up with Easter at the dying time, autumn and into winter. But when spring comes here, it comes differently than it does in the north. If you've read the romantic poets and, and, you find, and you've ever been to Europe in the spring, you suddenly realise why they write on and on and on about spring. Because it's a big deal. Here it's not. Here it's subtle. You can miss spring appearing in Australia, can't you? It's subtle. It's little bits in here and there. And then suddenly you just realise, oh, it's all around me. I think it's a great metaphor for what it means to be alive and to experience resurrection. It comes in bits and pieces. It comes slowly. It can be missed. You can wake up every morning for the next week feeling dreadful. And then another day, you can wake up and remember what a gift it is to be alive. And it matters. So that's why we say, as we've said a number of times today, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed.